0: what you can, the danger of trying to play it safe. And today, yes, we're going to be going over the parable of the talents, but it's going to be much more than that. And this message is really about, um, you know, some people get the mentality that they think that if they just don't do anything bad, then they're all set. But, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about this, that we're not supposed to just not do bad things. We're also supposed to go, you know, actively do good. And, uh, you know, there's different things that can contribute to contribute to this mentality we're going to go over that it's very important to get this down because some people think they can just hide away and and play it safe and and then they're all good but they're not and the bible strongly warns against this uh in the parable of talents and, and elsewhere in the word of god so very important message uh something you definitely want to think about And I'm going to make a lot of points related to this subject. So please make sure you listen all the way through. So let's start with the parable of the talents. And uh, this is in Matthew chapter 25, starting verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Now, by the way, if you don't know what a talent is, it's just a you know a certain uh, measurement, a certain weight. Uh, a lot of times, it was you know in regards to silver. Some say it was a, a you know a talent of silver. It was like three thousand shekels worth. Okay, so it's a it's a good amount of money. So to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then. He that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. He also, that had received two talents, came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. But then we have something different. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord. I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, And that at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. Take, therefore, the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, okay? So, we just wanted to make sure that we read that whole parable before we get into this. So, let's start to break this down. First of all, you see, uh, at the beginning, it said there was, you know, a man traveling into a far country. What does that represent? Well, Christ ascended into heaven where he will remain until he returns one day, right? So, this is what happened. Jesus Christ, you know, he was in heaven, he incarnated on earth, He was born of a virgin and he had his ministry, lived his life, died for our sins, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven. And, you know, that was him departing into a far country. He was going to he was ascending into heaven. He's going to be gone. He's been gone for around 2000 years, but he is going to come back one day. Right. Jesus promised he would come back one day. He will return. And so, he is the man that has traveled to the far country who is going to return one day from his journey. Okay, and then uh, let's look at this verse related to that. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Okay, so that's an important point because, you know, Some people wonder, like, man, it's been a while. It's been a long time since, you know, Christ ascended into heaven. He hasn't returned yet. Why is it taking so long? Well, it says because he has long patience to wait for the precious fruit of the earth. You know, the Bible says the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God is waiting as long as possible for as many people to get saved as possible before Jesus returns. And we know the Bible also says there are many prophecies that talk about apostasy coming in the last days. That in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It says that, you know, the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine but shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Well, that's where we're at right now. And, and that falling away, that apostasy, that's going to continue. And so less and less people are going to want the truth. That's what's going to happen. More and more lies and false doctrines going to spread everywhere. Less people are going to want to get saved. Less people are going to want to hear the truth of the gospel. And so God's going to, let that play out as long as possible to the very last moment and then Christ returns. So he has long patience waiting for that fruit, as much fruit as possible. So you have to think about it like that. So the man, you know, who, who travels to the far country, he's waiting till there's, this, you know, the as much fruit as possible, then he returns, time to harvest. Okay, so think about that in relation to Christ and then what what else what, is, what else does it say it says delivered unto them his goods okay so the man that goes on the far journey he delivers unto them his goods what does that mean well when jesus christ ascended he gave gifts unto men these these gifts were to be put to use for the kingdom of god that's what they're supposed to be used for let's look at some verses about that ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Okay, so it says here, when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts unto men. Okay, so that's a fact. He distributed gifts. But what were the gifts supposed to be used for? For the kingdom of God, for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, for being a, a testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what the gifts are for. They're not f- to bring glory to yourself. They're not to beat people over the head with. They're not to boast, not to be, uh, uh, you know, for you to boast about the gifts that you have. And that's why the Bible, in, in uh, uh, the the when it talks about spiritual gifts in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, before that, I'm sorry, in between that, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says the most important thing above any gift or knowledge or anything else that you have, even faith, is charity. It says that charity is above all, the most important thing. Because if you have gifts, spiritual gifts, without charity, it profits you nothing and you are nothing, the Bible says. And so that tells you right there that you're supposed to use gifts to edify others, to help them, to build them up, and to bring glory to God, to spread the gospel, these types of things. It's not to bring glory to yourself and to cause fights with people and and to puff yourself up with pride, okay? But nevertheless, Christ gave gifts unto men when he ascended. Here's another one. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now, this is going to be very important in the, as it relates to this message. It's going to be very important that you remember this verse That it says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What does that mean? God has given you everything that you need to live the Christian life, to live a godly life, and to do what God has called you to do. No matter what that is, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter your circumstances and they're going to be different. But no matter what the circumstances are, God has given you everything you need to spiritually speaking to do what you need to do. Okay? And so no one can say to God, "Well, I I just don't have the ability." If you're if you're born again, you put your, if you've repented and put your faith, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're born again. The Bible says, You have been given everything you need as it pertains to life and godliness according to his divine power, through God's power, he gave it to you. And if you act like you don't, then you are calling God a liar. If you're thinking that you cannot do what you're supposed to do, that is an excuse. Okay, and you are denying this uh, statement from the word of God. Okay, so he has given us all these things, gifts. And it says, this is an important point to add to that. And it says he gave his, uh, what does it say? He delivered unto them his goods, right? That's important. It says his goods were delivered unto them. Everything we have is a gift from God. We own nothing. We are nothing. And we can do nothing ourselves without God. And this is the most important thing you can get down. You know, before you understand everything else, you need to understand this. That everything you have is from God. Every single thing is a gift. Look at what Jesus said in John fifteen five. For without me, you can do nothing. Right? This seems pretty straightforward, pretty simple. But it is profoundly important. You cannot do... You can't do anything without Jesus Christ. Anything good, anything of value. You cannot live a spiritual Christian life without Christ without the power of God. And so that is a gift. To be able to do anything is a gift from God. And the sooner you get that down, the easier it's going to be for you to live the Christian life. Otherwise, you're going to be banging your head against the wall and fail and fall flat in your face over and over again until you get it through your head that without Christ, you can do nothing. And everything is a gift from God. Let's look at another passage about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. That you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. That's what I was talking about earlier. Don't be puffed up and filled with pride Against other people, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hadst not received it. This is so important. Okay, as I said, you everything you have is a gift from God. So he says, What makes you different from another person? What do you have that you did not receive from God? Nothing. Every single thing that you have, your very existence is a gift from God. So how is it that you can be filled with pride, all puffed up, acting like you're better than someone else? You're better than other Christians as if you it's all due to you. Yours, you know, because you're so special. And you're so smart or skilled or whatever it is that you think that you're, you're so great at. You're pretending as if, you know, these things are not gifts from God. And he says, if you did, if you received it. Why dost thou glory? Why are you puffed up with pride as if you didn't receive it? When you go around acting like uh, you haven't received these things as gifts from God every single aspect of your life. There's no reason to be puffed up with pride, acting like you didn't receive these things as gifts from God. Here's another one. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. Every gift is from above, is from God. Okay? So we see this very clearly taught in the Word of God. Every single gift, everything that you have is a gift from God. You are not your own. Nothing you have is yours. It is a gift from God. And if everything we have is a gift from God, then we must account ourselves as simply stewards of God's gifts. This is important for the rest of this message. You have to understand, you are a steward of the gifts that God has given you. That means you are supposed to take care of what God has given you. Right? Imagine a a person gave you... You know, something that was very valuable to them. And they gave it to you to watch over, to take care of it. And, you know, they'd say, hey, I'm going to be leaving for a couple weeks. Can you please watch this for me? And when I come back, I'll I'll grab it. Okay, great. I'll take care of it. You would want to make sure nothing happens to it. Keep it safe. All these things you would take care of it, right? You wouldn't want to, uh, you want to make sure nothing bad would happen. And you would feel awful if it did. And the person, when they come back, when they came back, if something did happen, they would be very upset, wouldn't they? So why is it that you think that about simply, you know, maybe some material thing That another person would give you. You would think that you take care of it and all these things. But when it comes to spiritual things, you don't view them the same way. You don't view yourself as a steward over everything that God has given you. You take it for granted. You don't appreciate it and take care of those things. Your own life. As if someone had given entrusted something to you. You're valuing the spiritual things less than material things, and that ought not to be. And so, if everything we have is a gift from God, then we must account ourselves as simply stewards of God's gifts. I'm going to uh, read uh, you know a couple points about this. First, ministry, and, the, and then uh, another point. So, being in ministry is called being a steward. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Okay. So someone's in ministry; they are a steward. It says there, plain as day. What are they stewards of? Stewards of the mysteries of God. They are entrusted with the task of. Teaching, preaching the word of God and, you know, preserving the, the truth, reproving the unfruitful works of darkness, earnestly contending for the faith once delivered unto the saints, you know, guarding against apostasy. They're supposed to, you know, keep that which is committed to their trust, preserving the truth from being tainted with error, protecting you know, trying to, to steer people away from wolves, false teachers, these types of things. That's all part of being a steward of the mysteries of God. And that's what they're supposed to do. And so, since they value though they value the word of God, they value those teachings, they value the responsibility that they're given, they should. They have the, the you know the respect and the fear of God that goes along with it, they are gonna make sure. They take care of what they're supposed to. And see that it's simply something that they're just stewards entrusted with taking care of something that's not doesn't belong to them. It all belongs to God. And so this also applies to everyone saved. Everyone saved are called stewards. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see that? Every born-again believer is supposed to be a steward. They are stewards of the grace of God. It says, as every man hath received the gift. Everyone has gifts. Okay, we're going to get into that more, but that's just a fact. Everyone is different. This can mean different things. This can mean natural abilities, whatever it may be. Gifts and talents, that are they're all given by God. But no matter what, the most important thing is that you recognize that it all comes from God. It's all a gift, and therefore, you are simply stewards of what God has given you. And if you're a steward of what God has given you, then you should... Appreciate it and treat your entire life that way as simply being stewards of these gifts. That it's not really, that nothing really belongs to you, even your own life. You're simply taking care of all these things. Everything in your life, all of your responsibilities, even your own body, everything you look at it as if something that has been entrusted to you from God for you to take care of. That's how you need to view it. And and this includes the grace of God, your your salvation. Because by the way, you weren't just saved just so you could go to heaven and not go to hell. Yes, that's very important. That's part of salvation, but that's not the end. That's the beginning. You don't just go, oh, I got saved, now I'm going to heaven, now I'm just going to kick up my feet and relax the rest of my life and not worry about anything else. No. You are entrusted with this grace of God so that you can continue to spread it to other people and tell them your testimony. Testify of the grace of God. Testify of the gift. By the way, salvation is called a gift, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you're given that gift of salvation. You don't just say, "Oh, I got this gift. Now I'm going to squeeze, on, you know, squeeze this gift. I'm going to hold on to it tight, and that's it." No, you want to tell people about it. Hey, you guys should hear what Jesus Christ did for me. Look at this gift. Listen to how this gift changed my life change my the destiny of my eternal soul and you're not wasting the gift you see you're acting as a steward say hey God gave me this I'm gonna do something with it I'm gonna make sure I'm not hiding my light under a a, a bushel but anyways you're, you're so they're called stewards. If we are stewards, we are expected to do something with what we've been given by our Lord. Expected to do something. Now, right away I'm going to give a response that someone may may give. Someone may say to this, I want to do something, but I feel like I'll never amount to anything compared to so many who have done great things for God. And they're comparing themselves to other people, thinking about you know, whatever it is, maybe people they read about in the word of God, prophets and the apostles and all these things. And they, oh, man, I can never do those things that they, they did. Or maybe they read about people and preachers in, in church history or some some other people that did great things. And like, oh, I'll, I'll never be able to do anything compared to them. Well, first of all, everyone has different gifts and abilities. Matthew 25, 15 and to one he gave five talents; to another two, and to another one. And to every man according to his several ability. Didn't don't you remember listening to that? When we were reading the parable of the talents, some given five, some given two, some given one. What does it say? To every man according to his several ability. Not everyone is the same, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody is different. Everyone has different gifts, abilities, whatever it is. Everyone's different. You could be, everyone is different. You could be a man, a woman, child, single, married, widow, rich, poor, employee, employer, old, young, etc. All with different roles and responsibilities. Okay? Not everyone is the same. And then also, you could have different gifts, talents, and skills, which could be used for God's glory. Everyone has different gifts and talents. Everyone is born in different circumstances, different places in the world, different countries, different economic status. Everyone is different. God doesn't judge Everyone exactly the same, okay. If you're if you're a man born in you know higher status, higher economic status, a uh, place in India, it, God's not going to judge you according to the same standard as someone, you know, a woman who's born in poverty in in South America totally completely different backgrounds and whatever they do in their life they're limited by certain things certain factors but whatever god however god judges it's going to be righteous it is going to be just but it's going it's going to be according to the knowledge that each person is in different circumstances with different gifts and abilities and talents and all these types of things. Different roles that they're supposed to fulfill. A woman and a man are not supposed to have the same roles. Same responsibilities. Everyone is different. And you are not to compare yourself to other people. The Bible clearly says that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You are not supposed to do that. People get in a lot of trouble doing that. Comparing yourself to other people. God says to not do that. You don't look at someone else in a completely different circumstance than you Maybe they've been saved, you know, you've been saved two years, they've been saved 20. Totally different circumstances. You can't compare yourself to them. You're, you are to do the best that you can based on who you are and what God has given you, not based on you trying to be like someone else. That's how a lot of people get in trouble. They're trying to be like someone else. God doesn't want you to do that. Doesn't want you to be someone else. You are you. Accept that. That's fine. God wants you to do the best that you can with what you have been given in your circumstance. Not to try to to measure up to someone else's. And uh, so let's look at, um, look at this. This is going to illustrate this point. Great. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse three. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She had done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Okay, so what does it say in verse 8? Jesus said she hath done what she could. She did what she could. She did not waste her life lamenting over what she could not do. She didn't whine that she couldn't be an apostle traveling around preaching and doing miracles. She did the most good with what she had. And that's what we need to do. Do not spend your life depressed or complaining. Lamenting over what you cannot do. Something that is impossible for you to do. Okay? Something that will never happen in your life. You will not be someone else. Some things you will never do in your life. But some other people will do. And that's fine. But you're not going to help anything... If you're crying and whining about what you can't do, that you can't do what someone else is doing. But instead, and this should be very encouraging to you, this should be very encouraging to you when you hear that Jesus said about this woman, she had done what she could. Okay, like I said, she wasn't like Peter preaching and then thousands of people got saved. She wasn't like Paul, you know, traveling all around Asia and preaching in these different cities and countries and planting churches and all these things. No, she didn't do that, but she did what she could. And Jesus praised her for that. He did not diminish what she did. And that should be encouraging to you because you don't have to do what other people do. Even if it looks like they're doing so much, that doesn't matter. Everyone has been given... Think about the peril of the talents. Some are given 10, some five, two, one, whatever. If you've been given 1... Don't worry about what someone else is doing that was given 10. Because guess what? They got to do more. They should be doing more with what they've been given. Too much is given, much is required. We'll talk about that later, but okay. But she did what she could. She she had this ointment. She, it says he he was uh, she was preparing his body to be buried. She had faith that he was going to die for everyone's sins. And so she thought this was the best thing she could do. Make this sacrifice in worship of Christ. And he accepted it. Jesus accepted this act of sacrifice that she did. And so, again you just think about that in regards to anything today no matter how limited your circumstances are you may be limited in what you can do you do the best that you can what you can do in those circumstances and that is accepted by god that should be that should be liberating for you you shouldn't have this you know uh yoke on your neck burning you down thinking about all these things that you can't do and you're and you're you know you're upset about it you're worried about it because god says no you don't have to do what everyone else is doing you do what you can do in your circumstances with your gifts your abilities whatever it is and that's it Here's another uh, point. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in Than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Very important point related to exactly what we're talking about. This widow is another example of someone who made the most of what they had. Even though the physical amount of money may have been less than others that were rich, she cast in more. In God's eyes, because it was in proportion to what she had. You see that? Because how could you, you know, because you would think, how does God say, how does Jesus say right here that this poor widow who cast in these uh, two mites, she cast in two mites, how can he say what she cast in was more than what the rich people were casting in. Because it's actually not more money. It's less money. But in the eyes of God, it is more. You see that? Because God judged her differently than the rich people. You get it? How? Because he saw she did the best she could in her circumstances but the rich people did not they gave way less according to their circumstances they were given more but they gave less she had less but gave more and there that this is how this truth is illustrated by Jesus Christ So don't ever feel embarrassed because of the little that you can do. Jesus did not despise the offering of this poor widow. God did not look down on it at all. He didn't go, oh, two mites, that's nothing. Absolutely not. Even though the people of this world may look down upon that and say, oh, that's nothing. They don't give anything. And I'm sure there's Pharisees that'd be sitting in a church, which by the way, that's why they love the plate, passing the plate around where everyone can see who puts in money and how much money they put in. It's even better if they put actual cash in there instead of a check where you don't see how much in an envelope. There's no envelopes. Just put in... So everyone could see how much money was given. Pharisees love that. See how much they give in proportion to everyone else. Love the uppermost seats at the feasts. Right? But that, But that's all of the flesh. That is pride. They're seeking the praise of men comparing themselves to other people. Say, well, well, I give more, but you actually don't. And by the way, even if you did give more and you're giving with the wrong attitude, it's still not accepted by God because you have no charity. Right? That's what God says. He says, even if you give, bestow all your goods to the poor and have not charity, it profits you nothing. Profits you nothing because you had the wrong attitude. You just wanted to compare yourself to other people. You wanted glory for yourself. This poor widow didn't care about getting glory for herself, it was between her and God. She cast it all in, sacrificed, and God accepted it. And so, think about these examples. Before you think, oh, well, because you may even think, man, you know, I can only do a little bit, so maybe I shouldn't even bother at all. That's wrong. That is dead wrong. That's what I'm warning about in this message. Don't think, well, you can only do a little, so I'm not just might as well not even try. Might as well not even do anything, give anything, whatever it is. That's absolutely false. If. Whatever it is that you can do, God knows. You see that? As long as you are honest in the sight of God, in that you are doing the best you can with what you have, God sees it, he accepts it, he will not despise it. He recognizes it. If those that are given two talents get back two more talents... And another with 10 talents gets back three talents. The one that was given two talents is accounted to have more because they did the most they could with what they had. You see that? So it doesn't matter what you're given. It doesn't matter. You know, that's the thing. You might see someone, oh man, they're given all these abilities and talents. Maybe they have a bunch of money, whatever it is and you might think you know you might look at that and go oh man i could never do what they do but they could be severely under you know uh underperforming they could be doing way less than they should with what they've been given and so you should never be envious of someone because they have circumstances that you look at and you, and you may think, oh, that's better than me. That's better than my circumstance. Yeah, but you don't know that they are responsible for doing more. That's the point. Second Corinthians 8.12 For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. Another important point. Okay, if you are willing to do what is right, to do something for God, what does it say? It is according that a man hath, not according to what he hath not. Don't ever think, well, if I only had this, then I could do something for God. No, God wants you to do what you can with what you have now. You don't don't say, well, I can can do what I'm supposed to do when I have what I don't have right now. Then I'll really be able to obey. God does not demand you do anything beyond your ability. The most important thing is a willing mind to do good, not doing good by constraint or grudgingly. Then you do the best you can according to what you have. Okay? Yeah, God will never demand you do something that you can't do beyond your ability, according to something that you don't even have. So the most important thing is that you have a willing mind to do good. And like I said, it says willing mind. You're not not doing it because you, you have to, you're forced to, whatever it is. No, you want to do good. And you do good with what you have. Here's a response, potential response to that. Someone might say, If I only had more, I would do so much more for God. But what is the reply from Scripture? Luke 16, 10. Luke 16, 10. Jesus said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Don't say you would do so much more if if God gave you more. Because it's not true. You need to do the most you can to be faithful to whatever God has given you now before you should ever expect any more. Some people are praying for more from God over and over again. God, please give me more, give me more. And yet they're not barely doing anything with what God has given them now. With the circumstances that they're in. Why should God give you more? So you can do less? Are you trying to keep more condemnation on yourself? It doesn't make any sense. If you are not faithful in that which is least, you will not be faithful in that which is much. You're not going to be faithful when, if God get well, I'm not faithful now, but I'm, I'll be faithful when God gives me more. That doesn't make any sense. It's, a, it's not true at all. You show God that you would be a good steward of more if by being a good steward of what you have now that's what you do here's another response potential response you don't understand i can't really do anything good because of my circumstances heard this before people make up all kinds of excuses about what they you know, can't you know can't do and it could be anything And trust me, I know there's lots of people that have terrible circumstances. Maybe they have physical handicaps. Maybe they can't move a lot. Maybe some people can't leave the house. There's many different circumstances. I understand that. And I'm not saying, again, you don't compare yourself to other people. I'm not saying you're held to the same standard and you should be doing what everyone else is doing. That's not what I'm saying at all. What's the reply from Scripture? Matthew 10, 40. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink one unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. What's the point of this? Anybody can give a cup of cold water. If that is truly all you can do, it is accepted by God. There are no excuses for doing nothing. Okay? Think about that. Anybody can give a cup of cold water. But, you know, in this, in this the context of this passage, you know, these little ones talking about like the apostles, disciples, whatever it may be, giving to a believer, hey, give them a cup of cold water when it's a hot day out, right? That's something nice you could do for someone. How hard is that? Giving someone a cup of cold water. If there's nothing else you can do, you could at least do that. And that, you know, what Jesus is saying is, you know, if that's all you can do, then do that. It's still better than nothing. Still better than nothing. There is never an excuse for doing absolutely 100% nothing. No excuse at all. That will not stand in the day of judgment. Well, God, you know, you put me in this circumstance and I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. And then, you know, God will say, yes, you couldn't do some things, maybe a lot of things that other people couldn't do. But here are the things that you could have done. That's what God will say to you. One hundred percent. You can bank on that. Okay. do not think you're going to get away with these excuses. What about those that do nothing? Matthew 25, 18, but he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. That was the one, the one that received one talent, he digged, he hid the money, did nothing with it. They hid their talent, did nothing with it. Will they be held accountable for this one day? What's the answer? Matthew 25, 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. And when it hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, there thou hast, that is thine. Even though he was, he only was given one talent, he was still held accountable for it. Everyone will stand before God to give an account one day, no matter who they are, no matter who you are, even if you were just given that one talent just a little bit, still going to be held accountable. Now, he thought that he did a good job because he may not have gained more like the others, but at least he didn't lose what he was given, right? This is the, this is why he thinks he did good. Well, at least I didn't lose what I was given. Right, I hit it, kept it safe, but didn't do anything really. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. That's what he said. Now, let's uh, relate this to to uh, professing Christians. There are many professing Christians who think that they're right with God because they don't blatantly break God's commandments. Right? They say, "Yes, I'm saved. I don't get drunk, do drugs, fornicate, curse, steal, watch." Wicked Hollywood movies, I don't do anything that is offensive to God, right? Lots of people say that about their testimony. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, it is absolutely good if you get saved. You're not supposed to be a drunkard and a fornicator and all these things. You should absolutely stop doing those things. You shouldn't curse or steal. You shouldn't set wicked things before your eyes and all these things. Of course, you should not do those things. I'm not saying that's bad, but, but it's what I'm saying is that it stops there. And that's all the emphasis is on all the time. All you hear from them is, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this. It's all about what they don't do. So they don't do bad, but they also don't do good either. And this is the point that we're going to hammer on for the rest of the, the message to end this. Okay. Yeah, they don't do bad, okay? Blatantly, hey, I'm not going out here doing all these bad things. You don't see me running around, going to the bar, and, and doing these bad things, and and getting drunk and and, and um, blatantly doing things that other people would say, oh yeah, he's doing bad, right? But it's all about what they don't do. The Bible says that those who are born again, not only put off the old man, but also put on the new man. Let's read it. Ephesians 4, 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Okay, so put off the old man. We got that, right? And then it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, okay? So it's not just put off the old man. It's also put on the new man. And we're going to see what the Bible says that actually looks like in practice. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to show you some examples. We are not only not supposed to lie, but we are to speak the truth. Ephesians 4.25 Wherefore, putting away lying... Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Okay? So when we put off the old man, we're putting away lying. Stop lying. Okay, great. You don't lie anymore. Awesome. But it also says when we put on the new man, we are to speak every man truth with his neighbor. So you might say, "Hey, I got saved and I don't lie anymore. Awesome. But do you speak the truth? Do you actively tell people the truth or you just keep your mouth shut and you never speak up to to speak the truth because you're afraid of what people might say, how people might react? Oh, people might get offended. People might get upset if I speak the truth. Well, guess what? The Bible commands you to speak the truth. And that includes speaking the truth of the word of God, speaking the truth of the gospel. So you may not lie, but if you're not speaking the truth, then you are still disobeying God. Let's continue. We are, not, we are to not only not steal, but also give. Ephesians 4.28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Okay? So again, put off the old man means don't steal anymore. Great. See, I got saved and I don't steal anymore. I used to to rob people. I used to steal this and that, and I don't do that anymore. Awesome. But do you also give? Do you labor, work a job so that you can earn money so that you can not only take care of yourself and pay your bills, but also give to people that are in need? There's many people out there, okay? That don't steal. But they also don't give. And I don't mean giving to some faceless charity. Which you know gives something to someone halfway across the world. I mean anyone in need. Face to face. Looking at someone and helping them. Any way that you can. Do you also give, or are you stingy? You're not a generous person. Well, that's not helping anyone. And by the way, this goes back to the gift, this goes back to the gift thing. Everything that you have is a gift from God. You may say, Well, I work with my own hands and I labor and I earn my money and all these things. Great, right? that's true. You do, but also everything is a gift from God, including your physical health. That if you didn't have, you wouldn't be able to work your job. Or what about your boss that owns the company? What happens if something happens to them and then your company shuts down? Everything is being allowed by God to happen. It's all a gift. That you make it to work every day and don't get hit by a drunk driver. That's a gift from God. So don't sit here and say, well, it's my money, blah, blah, blah. And I work for it and all these things. And I don't have to give to anyone. Well, God tells you to give. Says it right here. That's so you labor to you not only don't steal. You also give. You start to see this pattern here. Here's another one. We are to not only not use corrupt, filthy language, but we are to speak good things and build people up. Ephesians 4 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You may say, Hey, I don't use corrupt communication anymore. I don't I don't curse and swear anymore. Great. Even though a lot of people that profess to be Christians uh, have no problem with cursing today. It's absolutely wild. Never would be tolerated at all 50 years ago by Christians. Never. But now it's like normal. It's, it's totally crazy. Bible says clearly, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Another verse says, let no filthy communication proceed out of your mouth. It says, under the tongue of the wicked is bitterness and cursing and all these things. It's absolutely... So yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that you shouldn't be doing. And you may say, "Yeah, I don't, I don't talk like that anymore." Great, but do you also talk? Uh, uh, do you speak the things which are good? Do you speak the things that edify other people? That minister grace unto the hearers. Okay, so you may say, "Well, I don't, you know, I don't use that type of language anymore." But you don't say anything good to anybody. Well, that doesn't help anybody, does it? You just keep your mouth shut all the time, and you never say anything good. You ever make it someone's day a little bit better by saying something nice to them? Give them a compliment. Say, "Hey, you did a good job doing that." Just something simple like that. Can you do that? Maybe say. Bring up a, a proverb from the Bible that applies to something and it's, you know, it's something that's edifying, encouraging to someone. You ever just encourage someone? Well, you know, you can't just say, well, I just don't, I don't have corrupt communication, but I don't, I don't ever, you know, say anything good to anybody. Well, that doesn't help anyone, does it? You see? Here's one more that's related to that. Uh, we are not only not supposed to be mean, nasty, bitter, and angry, but we are to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Ephesians 4:31. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, right? That's put off the old man. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's putting on the new man. Okay? So you may say, hey, when I got saved, I'm no longer angry, nasty, bitter, speaking evil about people, towards people. Great. That's awesome. That's a good thing. But are you also kind to people now, Tender-hearted, forgiving others, actively being kind to other people? Or you're just saying, that it's good enough that I'm just not angry anymore. And I'm not speaking evil to someone. Okay, that's great. Don't speak evil, but also be kind, actively. You're supposed to do both. See? Okay, so we see these examples over and over again. You see how it's not just putting away sin, but actively doing good? James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That summarizes the whole thing, doesn't it? You may say, well, I don't do this and I don't do that. But it says, but if you know what you're supposed to do, you know good things that you're supposed to do, and you don't do them, That's sin in the eyes of God. You see that? That is sin. Because you're you're constantly focused on the other types of sin. You're always talking about that. And again, I said it's good to stop doing those bad things actively. But God says it is also sin to not do good actively. To take action. To go out of your way. Because guess what? It is going to be inconvenient to love your neighbor many times. Many times it requires going out of your way. It requires sacrificing time and energy and money and these types of things. Look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. That man, the Samaritan, had to go out of their way to stop wherever they were going, bind up the wounds of the man that was beaten up and robbed, Put him on his horse, go to the inn, sacrifice his own money. So he had a place to stay overnight. Right? He went out of his way, sacrificing all these things to give to someone who was a stranger who was beaten up and robbed on the side of the road. Would you do that? Would you go out of your way? To help your neighbor who is in need. To actively. Because like what I, what was I just saying. It's inconvenient. It's going to interrupt your schedule. You're going to have to go out of your way maybe. It's going to take up some time. You might have to spend some money. Whatever it is. To do good. But you know what? That's what makes you. Is supposed to make you different from everyone else in the lost world who doesn't care about other people, who don't have compassion, who won't go out of their way to help other people. You are supposed to stand out and be different because of good works. The Bible says that we're supposed to be zealous of good works. That's what makes us a peculiar people. You're not a peculiar people if you just hide away from everybody and never do anything. well I don't do anything bad. yeah if you're a monk in, in you know in the uh, hiding away in a monastery up in a mountain somewhere yeah of course it's easy to not do anything bad out there but you're also not helping anyone. you can go your whole life not helping anyone avoiding people. But that's not what God has called us to do. He has called us to to definitely not be of the world, to love not the world, but we're supposed to go out in it and not be of it. And we are supposed to express love even to those who don't even appreciate it. The Bible says to even give to people who we know cannot pay us back And, and don't act like they owe us anything. Yeah, that's the type of love we're supposed to express. That's the type of good that we're supposed to do, actively going around doing good as much as we can, as stewards of the manifold grace of God, everything that God has given us. Actively doing good. But but as I just read James four seventeen, if we don't if we know to do good and we don't do it, that is sin. And you might not think of that that often, but you should. Should motivate you to actively do good. Why do people bury their talent by just focusing on what they don't do? Matthew 25, 24. Look back to the parable of talents. Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid of and went and hid thy talent in the earth. The slothful servant had a false, unbalanced view of God. He had what is called a slavish fear. This is a, you know, we're supposed to fear God. It's absolutely good. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. fear of the Lord is a good thing. But this wasn't the true fear of God. It's a slavish fear. Uh... You know, the true fear of God is a reverential fear that's mingled with respect. This type of slavish fear is just someone that's afraid of God, with not respect, and without seeing the love and mercy and long-suffering of God. That's completely blocked out of their mind. So they don't even, they're not even viewing God right at all. They're viewing God as a different God, who is only... Uh, severe and harsh, with no love. This is what happens when someone primarily focuses on part of God's attributes to the exclusion of others. They focus mostly on God's wrath, anger, and holiness, with a severe neglecting of God's love, mercy, grace, and long-suffering. Of course, the majority of you know evangelical churches today, they go in the other extreme. They only talk about God's love, mercy, and grace and these types of things, and they're way out of balance. They never talk about God's holiness and wrath and these types of things, and that's bad, and that is preaching a false god, okay? But there is also this other side, this other problem, which can happen in cults and different groups where they only focus on God's wrath, anger, and holiness to the exclusion of his other attributes like his love. And that can lead to a slavish fear, where people are just afraid to do anything, because they're afraid that God, if they step out of line a little bit, God's just going to smash them into the ground. And there's no grace, and they just they just walk around every moment in fear. And I've seen that. I've seen that happen to people because they're they're uh, fall a God. The God that's preached to them. It's way out of balance, and it's painting a picture in their mind of a different God. This results in someone thinking it's better for them to play it safe than to risk doing something wrong and offending God. They may think no matter what they do, it will never be enough to please God, so they don't do much of anything. And I've heard people say that. They think, uh, you know, no matter what I do, it's never going to be enough to please God. It doesn't matter what I do. It's never going to be enough. That's because their view of God is distorted. It's not the right way of viewing God. That's not how God is. Okay? What what do we see here? If you are saved, right, that's the first thing. need to repent, believe the gospel, be born again. And then you're a child of God. As a child of God... You shouldn't think, oh, no matter what I do, it's never enough to please God. You should not think that at all. That is the wrong way to view things. Okay? Again, as we've been talking about in this teaching, God wants you to do what you can in your circumstances. Do the best that you can. Don't think it's, no matter what you do, it's not enough to please God. That's absolutely false. That's not true at all. They may think that God is always angry with them, so their existence is full of anxiety and fear. There is an absence of love, joy, and peace from the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Now, you know, maybe if you're in that circumstance where you always think that God is angry with you, it might be because you're lost. You might be a false convert, and you're just lost. And so the wrath of God actually does abide on you, in which case you absolutely need to repent and Believe the gospel. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and know that he took the punishment that you deserve. He died for your sins. He rose again from the dead for you. You trust in him alone to save you. Okay? That's what you need to do. Um, uh, So so it may be that that's what the problem is. But maybe you just have, you know, you have this idea of God in your head has been distorted by false preaching or something. And you all you think God's angry at you all the time. It could be from the way that you were raised. You know, people come from traumatic childhoods, abusive parents. And so they have parents that were always angry and abusive. So they think of God that way. Distorts you know, distorted, you know, abusive parents create can create a distorted view of God. And so that needs to be corrected by the word of God you need to understand that God isn't always, if you're saved, God is not always angry with you and you should be running around with anxiety and fear. You need to understand about, you need to meditate more as to, uh, on the scriptures that talk about God's love and God's long suffering and his mercy and his grace and these types of things. You need to really saturate your mind with scriptures talking about these things so that you you don't have this unbalanced, distorted view of God because that's affecting you so that you don't even want to do anything because you're afraid. Yes, we should fear God. Fear of the Lord drives you to depart from evil. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 16, 6. But remember, that's only half of the equation. We are also to do that which is good. We are not to have fear of God without love for God and neighbor, which are the greatest commandments. Matthew twenty two thirty six. 36. Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay? So not only are we to have the fear of God, we are to have love for God. With all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are to love God and love our neighbor. So you can't just have the fear without love. Never forget that. And the love of Christ should drive us to do good and not bury our talent. We're almost here at the end of the teaching. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they would live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Okay, so see there, it says, the love of Christ constraineth us. So you should absolutely think about that, that don't be like this slothful servant who has had the slavish fear and didn't know about the love, wasn't focused on the love of God. Don't be like him. As it says here, the love of Christ should constrain you to do good, to drive you to not bury your talent and the gifts that God has given you. Um, So you don't just have the fear of God, you have the love of God motivating you. And and you think about that. We love him because he first loved us. He died for us. And so we should want to express our thankfulness to him. By taking action. We present our bodies a living sacrifice. Which is our reasonable service. It's the least that we can do. Is to give everything to him. Because no matter what we give. It's never going to be able to repay. What what Jesus has done for us. And so we should. It should be a labor of love. Driving us to. Not. Instead of burying the talent. Going and doing something with it. Actively doing good everywhere in any way that we can. Doing good for the glory of God. Okay? So love of Christ should motivate you to do that. And uh, just to wrap this up, I just want to show clearly that the wicked slothful servant is a false convert professing Christian. He goes to outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Also compare these, Matthew 25, 29. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Okay, so remember when it said that? Well, let me show you what it says in another version of this in uh, the book of Luke. Luke 8, 18 says, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. You see that? So, it's not that he actually has it, he seems to have it. Okay? This shows you we're talking, this is talking about a false convert. Okay, they seem to have something. It is an appearance, but it is not real. And by the way, if you continue to read in Matthew 25, this ties the whole thing together as well. It talks about the Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. And what does it say about the goats? These, by the way, were people that profess to know Christ. They call him Lord. Lord. But Jesus will say to them, "Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels." Right? They're going to go to hell. But what does he say the difference was? Well, he said the goats didn't actively do good. They didn't give to those who were food to those who were hungry, drink to those who were thirsty, visit those who were in prison or, or were sick actively doing good to help people they didn't do any of those things and Jesus said you did it not unto them it's as if you didn't do it to me but you notice that's the dividing line between the sheep and the goats the sheep actively did good the goats did not make sure you pay attention to that warning that you shouldn't bury your talent and think that you're going to get by just not doing anything. And that's, you're just going to think you're going to play it safe and that's fine. It's not fine. You need to do good. And the final thing is, as I said, yet you, you don't want to play it safe. Think that you're playing it safe and not do anything. You need to do good. And then the final thing is, Don't compare yourself to other people. You do the best that you can in the circumstances that you're given. Whatever it is, whatever your role is, your circumstance, your abilities, your location, whatever it is, it does not matter. You do the best that you can with what God has given you. Don't compare yourself to other people, and that is accepted by God. But what is not accepted by God is doing nothing. So make sure you got that down. That about wraps up the message. Thank you for watching and listening. Please like, share, and subscribe. Especially go to the description and and subscribe to the Telegram feed where you're going to get all the PDFs of the notes, uncensored news, updates, all these different types of things. Thank you for all the support, all the, the kind comments and prayers and gifts and everything else. God bless you. Have a good day.